0: You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 31, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Miko Whitlock, also known as the Mindful Techie. Miko works with individuals and organizations with a specialty in working with nonprofits and activists to help them to stop putting their life on hold because of work and to start living a more balanced life. He helps people to tackle technology distraction and information overload so that they can live life on their own terms, free from the anxiety ridden sea of never ending emails, social media, notifications, and breaking news alerts. We're extremely pleased to welcome Miko Whitlock to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview you're about to hear with Miko Whitlock, also known as the Mindful Techie, you'll hear Miko tell you about many practical ways in which you can take back control over your interactions with your smartphone and other devices. And in today's tip, I'd like to focus on just one simple thing you can do to feel more relaxed, focused, and productive throughout your day, which is to make sure to take breaks throughout your busy workday. And we have a blog posting on this topic on technology for mindfulness called Take a Break for Your Body and Mind, in which I go into this in a lot more detail. But the first thing to recognize is that many of us believe that working nonstop is more productive When in fact, all the research shows, and I think if you pay attention to your own experience, you'll find that actually taking short breaks, even though it may feel like you're wasting time or creating, quote, dead time, actually helps you be more productive in addition to, of course, being better for your health and helping you to be more mindful and grounded. There's lots of technology out there that can help you take breaks from the simplest alarm that you could set to software out there that can remind you to take breaks every hour or according to any other schedule that you'd like. There's Pomodoro software out there which lets you set your own schedule for, let's say, working for 25 minutes and then taking a break for five minutes. That's really super convenient and there are, of course, many things you can do during these breaks, however long they might be, even if they're as short as a minute, from just sitting and breathing with your eyes closed to actually engaging in some formal meditation, standing up, moving around, doing some simple stretches is a great idea. There's a website, which I think is a little tongue-in-cheek, called do nothing for 2 com which encourages you to do exactly that. So whether you do this on your own without the aid of technology or with the aid of technology, taking breaks throughout your day when I know all of us are inclined to just work, work, work nonstop is a new habit you can practice and develop and then pay attention to how you feel when you actually take breaks throughout your day. I hope you find this helpful and I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with Miko Whitlock. Hi, Miko, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hey, Robert, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to have you here today. Uh, you're also known as the Mindful Techie, uh, and everything you do is really perfectly suited to technology for mindfulness. So I'm sure we could <laughs> spend all day speaking, you know, about everything everything that you do. Uh, you know, one thing I ask many people on the podcast is. What originally motivated you to get involved in working on technology and mindfulness? What what drives you every day?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, 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 as I think about this, this has been a part of a lifelong journey. I've always been fascinated by technology and communications and have been working the vast majority of my career in the nonprofit and the public sectors, um, using that for what I describe as social good. Um, but simultaneously in my personal life, I've always been a really introspective, really um, spiritual person, um, and I reached a point where I realized I wanted to be able to combine those and bring those together, uh, and so that sort of started um, this shift to more intentionally integrate um, what I was doing in my professional work with my personal work. And then uh, I I kept getting questions about you know some of the impact and the transformation that I was experiencing, and I began to talk to other people and share. And that became sort of the launching pad or the springboard for the work that I do today.
0: So what was it that you were working on personally, I wonder, uh, that was helpful to you what What motivated you to do whatever this work was, and then you know what was it that that other people started to find helpful to such an extent that you became the mindful techie
1: so the one of the one of the bigger things is you know in the nonprofit and the public sector in particular. Um, a lot of folks go into those particular roles because they want to make a difference. They want to um, have a positive impact on the world. But oftentimes they do it at the expense of their of themselves, or they do it at the expense of their own self-care. And so I reached a point where I was actually one of those people, where I was on the brink of burnout, where I was depressed, where I had gained a lot of weight. And I was sort of overwhelmed by the enormity of the mission that I was focused on and feeling like there were there weren't enough hours in the day. And I had to sort of give all of myself to that. And then simultaneously, you know, with the, with my role in communications and technology being overwhelmed by sort of the, the rapidly evolving landscape there and sort of the changing social norms around, uh, you know, what it means to be connected and be responsive, both personally and professionally. And I, I just reached a point where I, I, I needed to take a step back. And I, I reached a point where I recognized that, you know, the, the emails are going to continue to flow in. You know, the to-do list is going to continue to grow. Um, there's still going to be um, more than enough work to do, no matter how many things I check off my to-do list. But if I don't figure out how to integrate the spiritual work that I'm doing in my professional work, then I might not be around long enough to have the impact that I want to have. Uh, and so I began to talk openly about that at work, about work-life balance, about um, a more mindful and intentional approach to how we're using communication and technology tools Started talking about it at conferences, and the response was just overwhelming. People wanted to essentially know what steps I was following and, and wanted to know what I was doing if I, and if I could help them. And, and that was sort of the, the, one of the starting points for the work that I'm, I'm doing today.
0: Yes, this has been a problem certainly long before technology overtook our lives that people who are activists or anyone really who's, who's passionately committed To their work or some kind of mission, there can be a tendency to keep working, working, and working from that passion, uh, out of that place of motivation. But people, yeah, can get burned out. And, you know, it's interesting the way you talk about it. Uh, you're, you're not just saying you found you weren't as productive or as efficient as you wanted to be. It sounds like you're talking about really being concerned about your own health and, and well being and, and, I don't want to take it too far, but potentially serious health consequences, if not worse for you from this overwork and that you found this was common amongst a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and i, I that's exactly right. And I, I think I would also couple that with the fact that, you know, uh, I i think about the work that I do as, as a calling, right? That's, that's a bit bigger than just me or an organization that I work with, for example. And so part of it is about my own personal health and well-being, but my personal health and well-being is an instrument through which I actually fulfill my, my purpose. And if, if my instrument is not well taken care of, my life is not well taken care of, then I can't be of benefit or be of service to others. And so I realized that I could literally drop dead at my desk and, you know, hopefully my friends and my colleagues will say lots of wonderful things about me and my memorial service. But at the end of the day, you know, the inbox will continue to, you know, the emails will continue rolling in, the to-do list will continue to grow. I'll be replaced and the work of the organization would just sort of go on without me. Uh, and so I had to make a choice about, okay, well, I, I want to continue to do this work. I want to continue to do good. I want to continue to make a difference. Um, I see value in technology and some of the other tools and in, in being able to do that, but there has to be a better way. There has to be a more sustainable and balanced and intentional way to go about this.
0: Mm. So you're, you're talking about technology as being both part of the problem, but it sounds like also potentially part of the solution. You mentioned that technology can be helpful in in helping people re, regain uh, that balance, or maybe for some people, gain it for the first time. Uh, and I, I know you teach individuals and train organizations on mindfulness, technology, and productivity. Can you talk a little bit about where the mindfulness comes into play in that picture?
1: Yeah, so the, the mindfulness, um, in terms of how I frame it for the folks that I work with, is really about taking a step back and to understand what your intention is with anything that you're doing. So when it comes to uh, technology specifically, um, you know, email and calendars tend to be like, you know, really powerful tools and sort of uh, more common tools in professional work settings. And so I talk to people about, okay, well, um, you know, think about what your intention is for the day. What is it that you're trying to achieve? What is it going to What's going to be the metric that you're going to use to decide or to know whether or not you've actually been successful or been impactful at the end of the day? And when you're in your inbox or when you say yes to that calendar invite or when you say no to that meeting request, is that actually aligned with the intention um, that you set? So this is really about helping people to sort of use um, mindfulness as a tool to sort of take a step back to reflect on, okay, I'm here now in this moment being present what is it that I'm actually trying to do? What is it that I'm actually trying to impact? And is my use of technology in this moment and subsequent moments is actually aligned with that or not? And if it's not aligned, then what do I need to do in actually to actually to, to fill that gap?
0: So many of us have days that are so busy. It often feels like we're not even, I can say from my own experience when I'm not paying attention, doesn't feel like I'm making a choice to use technology. It just feels like it's happening to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know,
0: and, uh, I wonder what you would say to people, you know, play, to play devil's advocate for a minute, who say things like they don't have a choice, they don't have time, this is not practical for them. I'm sure you hear these kinds of things all the time. The demands on them are too great. They can't pause and stop and think. They have constant demands on their attention and their time and their energy. But what would you say to people who have that experience?
1: Well, I, I would say to, you know, honor that, that that's, you know, how you're feeling in that in that moment. But I, I would also sort of encourage people to consider that um, either you can make an intentional conscious choice on your own to sort of take a pause and take a step back and to reflect, or you can allow life circumstances to do that for you. Um, and, I, you know, talking about my story earlier on, you know, my health was beginning to impact me. My, essentially, my health was going to be the, the, the thing that was going to say, look, you need to sit down. Um, and not to be dire, but you know, people do um, do this to the extreme where they actually burn out. Um, uh, and in some cases, you know, there's some kind of major life event that happens, be it health wise or, or something else that happens, that actually causes people to, to to take a step back. The other thing that I would say is in terms of productivity and actually being useful um, over the long term. What we know with multitasking is that multitasking is actually a myth. You know, when you think about, um, you know, doing multiple high level tasks simultaneously, what's actually happening is not necessarily multitasking. What's happening is that your brain is switching back and forth really rapidly between those multiple things that you're working on, right? And so when you're doing that, um, you are causing cortisol levels, the stress hormones to, to rise in your body. Um, you're you're physically exhausting the body. Uh, and if you're doing that over a prolonged period of time, you're essentially um, negatively impacting your ability to, to be um, productive. Uh, and the last thing I'll say to this point is, you know, we know that rest is really important. We, we cannot go nonstop um, and not expect that there's gonna be a consequence um, for that. We, we need to rest uh, in part to rejuvenate um, in part to um, uh, clear the the mental clutter and also to make room for creativity um, and to actually be able to um, be more efficient and to and to be more productive so for the folks that maybe feel like okay well i just don 't have time to do this um, I would ask you how is what you 're doing right now actually working out for you and dr phil says you know how's that how's that working for you I would ask you that question like if you know <laughs> if you 've done this and it 's not working for you then I would offer you a challenge to maybe take a risk and say, you know what, maybe let me try something different. And if if this other way doesn't work for you, then you can go back to what you were doing, if that works for you. But I I, the people that I work with um, actually find that they are actually able to um, get clearer about the fact that not everything is actually important. And that if they if they pull back and do the one or two most impactful things that they actually end up um, being less stressed. And more productive, and having a greater impact.
0: It's interesting. It sounds like you're you're suggesting that um, one people are not if people are saying they don't have time, uh, they they may be wrong about how efficient they're currently being in their current way of doing
1: things. Exactly. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that I really like your suggestion. You know, to people who are who might be worried or dismissive of the idea of pausing that. This is not something they have to commit to trying out for the next year. You know, they can they can try it out for an hour or a day and and exactly. see how it works. And you know, what's what's the worst that can happen?
1: Yeah, it's actually it's interesting. So I have a, a new planner that I'm going to be a daily planner that I'm going to be releasing to actually help people to do this. And it does it 90 days at a time, really starting with your day and with your week. And um, I the, the planner encourages you to reflect on. Uh, essentially, three three areas. You know, what are you grateful for? What's your intention for your day and for your week? And then, what are your key tasks that are aligned with whatever your priorities are for that day or for that week or for that particular quarter? Um, and what I have found is this is a process that I've used for myself um, that has been particularly impactful. Uh, but when I work with clients, you know, my clients, which tend to be sort of overachievers, overworked folks. Um, it's refreshing because it's sort of a simplified framework to help them sort of cut through the noise and to say, OK, well, actually, I have 20 things on my to do list, but actually only three of these things are actually going to help me get to what I say my intention is for this week. And so uh, I challenge them to focus on those three things and then see what happens um, with those other 17 things that are on their list. And they realize that those of the 17 things weren't as important as they thought they were. So sometimes mm-hmm. we are. As you, as you mentioned earlier, we're operating on autopilot and we're suffering from what I describe as an epidemic of intention deficit disorder. Um, intention with an I, deficit disorder, where essentially we are living our life um, so rapidly and so hurriedly that we're living um, in reaction to what the news is telling us about how bad the world supposedly is, you know, what's showing up in our social media feed and our on, on, on Instagram and on Facebook, um, you know, what Amazon is trying to get us to buy in terms of the latest product. Um, but we don't take the time to think about what our actual intention is for ourselves. Um, and oftentimes, particularly in the public sector, and nonprofit sector, we know more about the intention and the mission and the vision of our organizations. And we are so good at project managing to actually um, be effective in that regard. But we don't actually apply that same skill set to our own lives. Um, and when we, when we actually take the time to do that, it can be a powerful sort of reset for folks that are struggling from overwork and overwhelmed from technology.
0: I'm interested in, in hearing more what you have to say about intention. It's certainly something that we focus on in mindfulness practice. But in the business world and when we think about productivity, I don't often hear it mentioned. Uh, usually people talk about goals, Uh, instead of intentions. And I wonder if you could talk about why uh, in your work you uh, focus on intentions. And I don't know if you have anything to say about how they might differ from goals or what the benefits are of focusing on intentions.
1: Yes. So for me, the way I think about intention, intention um, is perhaps one of the most powerful creative forces in the universe. Essentially, an an intention is a statement about what you want to create in a given moment um, in the universe. And um it's it it goes beyond simply um as you describe it as a as a goal a goal is as I think about it is sort of a metric that you use to measure how well you are doing in achieving a particular priority for example so you your goal might be to in a given day to complete um, a report that you're working on um, or proposal that you're working on for a grant and the the um, priority might be to get more funding for your organization for the work that you're doing. Um, but your intention, your your broader intention might be to have a positive impact in Baltimore, Maryland, which is the community, community that you might be living in by providing, I don't know, after school programs to at-risk kids or whatever it might be. Um, and so your intention, um, the way I think about it, is really tied to a higher purpose and mission and vision. Um, and when you are able to get clear And sort of tied into that, it becomes Mm -hmm. easier for you to understand what's important and what's not important. Oftentimes, we don't have a connection to our why. We don't have a connection to our purpose um, for showing up in a particular space and time. And because we don't have that, then we sort of respond to what the world is giving to us, right? So in a professional context, what that means is you get to work, you open up your email inbox, and then your email inbox is essentially someone else's to-do list for you. And so you spend your day sort of whittling through someone else's to-do list for you because you haven't actually taken the time to reflect on, okay, well, what am I trying to do? What do I intend to do? What do I intend to create this week or this day um, with my life, with my contribution to this organization, to this work? And then how can I then focus on those one or two or three things that are going to be the most impactful as opposed to trying to check off everything else that people have given to me?
0: Mm. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, the way you describe an intention as being a higher purpose, it seems like there, there is a spiritual side to it. And there's also a very practical side to it in that it's something, as you said, when you're thinking about what to do next or whether to respond to a particular email, it's always possible to step back and ask, is responding to this email in line with what my intention is? There, there's a, it's, it is a tool you can use despite its higher purpose. <laughs>
1: Yes. And so, you know, I and I don't shy away from the spiritual component to it. Um, but but I also I work with lots of folks that come to me that aren't necessarily spiritual. They may be they are agnostic or atheist or maybe something they describe themselves a, a different way. But I think we can all, regardless of what our faith or spiritual tradition is, we can all sort of connect to um the fact that, you know, something that serving something that's greater than us, right? So when we we do our work, when we're working for an organization, for example, particularly when we're trying to do good or or make a difference in the way that I think about it in the world, um, you know, part of what um, brings us all together is that we are connected to the mission or the vision for that organization or for that work. And that can be a starting place. People are sort of stuck or struggling, uh, and maybe they're not spiritual. But maybe going back to, okay, well, what's the mission of my organization? What's the mission of my agency? What are we trying what are we trying to do Um, and how will we know that we've been impactful or successful? And then asking yourself, um, you know, is my my are my actions is my to do list is my my project list, whatever I'm working on, my task list. Is that actually tied to actually moving the mission of the organization forward or am I just doing busy work? Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. And we also know, I mean, I know from scientific research, but also personal experience, that when you're doing work and you either don't know what the purpose is, or your belief is that the work doesn't serve any purpose, it can be really demotivating. Yes. Uh, And the converse is also true, that when you know what the purpose is, and you know that what you're doing is in line with it, it can be really energizing.
1: Not only energizing, but I think that's also where you get the productivity gains, um, because you're. Your whole physical, um, your 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 mental and your and your physical sort of presence shifts in a way that you are able to be more efficient. That's what I've experienced myself, and that's what folks that I've worked with tell me that they sort of experience a sort of a a, a different way of thinking about it. Um, there's clarity as well because there's mm-hmm. you know th- there's clarity about okay, well I can I can actually connect the dots and I can actually see how what I'm working on in this moment is actually tied to. Um, whatever it is that I said I was going to do or or whatever the mission or the vision is of the organization that I'm serving.
0: I'm curious, it's making me think about the roles of different people and organizations. I think more traditionally, it's thought that it's the role of management or a board of directors to be setting the vision or the mission, mm-hmm. and everyone else to just do tasks that they're told to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if you could speak to uh, how intention and following intention uh, fits with people at, in different roles within an organization, um, and whether this affects how you. Advise organizations, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, to work with everyone within those organizations.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, it's a really good question. So what, I work mostly with folks that are, um, I guess, sort of the implementers um, are actually doing the work. So these are like managers and below. Um, and so I do a little, little work with executive leadership, but mostly sort of manage, management level and and below folks. And with those folks, what I work with them on is. You know, you have your mission and your vision for your organization, but I want you to reflect on what is your personal mission and vision for the work that you're doing and your contribution that you're bringing. So if you're the janitor, if you are the receptionist, um, if you are a caseworker, you know, you have you you're connected to the larger vision and mission of the organization. But you can also set a mission and vision for what it is, the value that you want to bring to the organization. And when it comes to your daily intention or your weekly intention or quarterly intention, you can set an intention about how you choose to show up, right? Um, so, you know, perhaps if you're the receptionist, perhaps your intention um, might be to um, to be a positive or like a smiling presence um, for everyone that you're greeting on you know on the phone or as they come in for their for their appointments. Um, the same thing if you if you are the janitor you you can make an intention about um, wanting to, you know, be a critical part of keeping the space um, clean and open um, and having it to be a, a really safe space um, for the folks that are working there for them to be productive. Uh, and so I, I think that there oftentimes we th- we are waiting for something or someone's outside of us to help mm-hmm. us to do that. And what I try to get people to do is to understand that you don't need to wait for that. That you can decide right here and now, because we all have something unique in terms of how we show up in it, how we give to the world, um, and we can make a choice about how we want to show up in the world. Particularly if we are working in an environment that might be really tough, perhaps perhaps is really stressful. Maybe you work in an emergency room at a at a hospital, or maybe you work in um, a social service agency um, where the type of clientele that you're dealing with have really challenging um, issues. You can decide that recognizing those particular challenges, those unique circumstances, you can decide, you can make a decision about what you want the outcome to be of your presence, right? That you want your presence to be a calming Mm -hmm. presence for the clients that are in distress that are working with you. Um, That you um, want your clients to be, um, you know, more calm or whatever it is that you might be thinking about, even starting at that smaller level up to tying into um, whatever the organizational mission is. So I, I encourage people to not just wait for something outside of you, but to actually consciously make a decision about how it is that you want to show up and what kind of impact that you want to have in the work that you're doing.
0: It's, it's very interesting. It ties into something I found through my own mindfulness practice. I've certainly heard many people talk about it, which is through mindfulness, being able to recognize uh How you have choice in your own life where you might feel like you don't. And, you know, what I, part of what I hear you saying is let's say you're an employee in an organization where your role is somewhat dictated for you, Yes, if you don't apply mindfulness to it, you might just make the assumption there's nothing you can do to change your role or how you act or how you are in that situation, when in fact there may actually be a lot of room or openings for you to, as you said, change how you come to that role or how, yes. how you're present in it. I mean, you know, one thing, as out of my own personal experience, I'm a lawyer. I've run my own business For many years, law practice and sometimes people say to me, oh, it must be great as if I have unlimited freedom because I'm the business owner. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say, well, you know, I work for clients, (laughs) right? (laughs) you know, uh, but it's it's not absolute in either direction. All right. It's it's a it's a misunderstanding to think I have absolute freedom because I'm the owner of the business. It's also misunderstanding to think that I'm completely under the control of my clients. Of course, I work for them. Uh, but there's room. There's always room, and you could have the CEO of a corporation has a lot of flexibility, but answers to the shareholders and to yes. the customers. I mean, everyone is under constraints and also has some degree of freedom. Yes, absolutely. And I'm just I'm repeating back what I think you're saying. You are you work to help people recognize where they may not otherwise see it and feel somewhat. Helpless is that a fair yes, characterization? Yes, that's that's
1: fair. And sort of and and applying this to the technology piece, you know, one of the challenges that we have with technology, the way, particularly a lot of the um, what I would describe as sort of the online technologies like social media and and the smart devices, is you know the the designers have designed these in such a way that they capture your attention, right? So companies are motivated um, by a profit motive. That essentially says, you know, as, as much time as we can get your eyeballs on, you know, your stream on, on this particular social media platform or on your device, you know, the more money that we can make, the more we can sort of um, convince you that you need the latest version of it when it comes out uh, or whatever it might be. So that is definitely true that there are people that are intentionally designing um, technology to be addictive, but notwithstanding that we still have freedom of choice in terms of how we choose to engage and how we use um, the platforms and the tools. And it really starts with getting clear about what your intention is. And when you're clear about what your intention is, then you can get clear about how you actually want to use the technology. So if you are clear that, you know, you want to be spending more time with your partner and with your children, then you can make a conscious decision and say, you know what, I realize that my use of Facebook or my use of, you know, watching TV or whatever it is Um, Is actually getting in a way of valuable time that I could be spending with my with my family. And now that I'm clear about that intention and now that we've discussed this and we actually share this as intention as a family, then we can reclaim that time. We can reclaim that space and then we can perhaps um, uh, flip the script and uh, have the technology work for us in a different way. Uh, and, And so I encourage you to think about it that way as well when it comes to technology.
0: I wonder if you can give give us some specific examples uh maybe with respect to you, uh, email or calendar or social media um, beyond setting an intention. I wonder if there's any specific practices or pointers or tips or habits you might suggest to people to try out for these things that are that do have such a strong pull over us
1: yeah so with uh with email, there are a couple of things that I would recommend the first is to um, I know, I think for a lot of people, particularly folks that work in sort of high stress professional environments, there might be a tendency to check their email first thing in the morning or to check it first thing at night before they're going to bed. I would encourage people to resist that that impulse. And one of the ways that you can do that is by having a strong morning and evening routine. Um, and I tell people to start with if you don't ha- think you don't have time, start with what I call five minutes of joy. 5 5 minutes of time that you can spend for yourself whether that's sort of you standing in the kitchen drinking your coffee or drinking your tea maybe you're cuddling with the dog on the couch whatever it is find those 5 minutes of joy and then the second aspect of this particularly in the morning is to set your intention and your and sort of get clear about what your schedule is for the day first and what you want to achieve before you check your email that way when you do log into your inbox you're able to um actually plow through your inbox and actually focus on those most important things that gonna help you to actually achieve that intention as opposed to you getting sucked in and then you're not knowing like what you're doing and you sort of spend all your day there, but Mm you at the end of the day you realize you haven't been productive at all. Um, Something else to think about too is um, once you're clear about what your key products or tasks are for that day, um, to actually, if email is a distraction, close your email um, as you're working on those things. And I know that in some organizations, this might be challenging for some folks because they might be expected to, you know, respond right away or they feel like they're expected to respond right away. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage folks to do an experiment and to essentially test to see how long you can go without responding to an email before someone calls you or knocks on your office door or is like wondering where you are and maybe that's 20 minutes, maybe that's 15 minutes, or whatever it is, whatever that block of time is, then that lets you know how, how you can structure your work, right? So you can structure your work in 15 or 30-minute or blocks, and you know that you can shut off your email for that amount of time, and um, people aren't going to think that you're being unresponsive or that you're ignoring them, right? So that's one aspect. Those, those are a couple of things you can do um, as it relates to email. Uh, when it comes to your calendar, uh, you know, your calendar can be a powerful tool to actually really assess how much time you actually have to do things. I think often one of the problems with people who, who overwork is they think they have more time than they actually do. Um, so, what I encourage people to do is, you know, going back to the planner that I was talking about with the weekly priorities and the daily priorities, is once you identify those, actually plot those on your calendar for how much time it's actually going to take. Right. So estimating, you know, maybe it's going to take you an hour or 30 minutes for whatever the task is, um, blocking out time for when you're actually going to be checking your email um, throughout the day. If that is a major disruptor, and you need to set aside dedicated time to work through that and all the other major key tasks. And that's going to give you a clear indication of how much time you actually have and um, hopefully, let you know that perhaps you need to start saying no to some things or no, not right now um, to something. So those are, those are two sets of uh, advice I would give folks based on email and calendar, because I know that those are um, perhaps the most prevalent tools in the workplace setting. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say when it comes to social media, um, I think social media can be a powerful tool to reconnect with folks. It can be a powerful tool for entertainment, it can be a powerful tool for um, sort of keeping up with what's going on. In the world, particularly from the perspective of the people on the ground, and I would encourage people if if that people find it valuable in that way to continue to be plugged in, but to be intentional about it. You know, to to for me, I set aside time for 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 that. So I give myself, you know, maybe thirty minutes or forty five minutes, and say, you know, I'm going to be on Instagram or I'm going to watch cat videos on Facebook because that's how Mm -hmm. I unwind or that's going to be my break for the day, whatever it is. Um, But after that time is up, I'm going to go back to um, you know, whatever it is that I was working on. And there are apps like Moment, um, for example, that will help you to track your usage of, of different apps um, and to keep, keep tabs on that um, and to really help you to bring awareness to how much time you're actually spending on your device, how much time you're actually spending on different apps um, so that you can begin to assess you know, if that usage is actually adding value or not, and if it's not adding value, then what kind of shifts you need to make in order to um, actually find that balance for you?
0: That's really all great practical pointers for people. I really appreciate it because I know uh, for many people, including me, uh, although I do have a mindfulness practice, sometimes it can be challenging to translate. Uh, the the general mindfulness practice into concrete steps we can we can take in connection with technology. I I just want to relate one story that people might find funny or be able to relate to if they're <laughs> going to try this thing with the calendar, which is I have a business coach who many years ago had me do this exercise, and I still do it. You know, the plotting out what I have to do, and I remember the first I had never done it before, like most people. And I really, he said, really, everything you have to do, you know, because you only have that time. And I did it and I looked at it and my first reaction was, there is no way I can come close (laughs) to doing everything I have to do. But what my mind then told me was. Therefore, stop putting this in the calendar as if putting my head in the sand about it would make the problem go away mm. and <laughs> you know, just stop looking at the It's too scary. Of course, working with a coach, uh, he said, Robert, that's not the solution. The solution is to really. He didn't say be present with what you're looking at on the calendar, but that's what he meant. That is the reality of your life right now, Robert. You have too many things to do, and that's why you keep not getting them all done and being stressed about it. Better to really take a cold, sober, honest look at it all. Uh, It's not going to get done by not looking at it on the calendar, and we really had to work through Uh, you know, how to start getting these things done, or as you said, say no to some of them, delegate some of them, work on them more efficiently. And it's not like I did it one time and it's over. Uh, I continue to do it. I don't have to do it as intensively as I did in the beginning. I do it more as a sanity check now, but it was a real, real eye-opening thing. I mean, I had to admit how out of touch I was or unaware I was of how how would I put it, uh, inconsistent, you know, what I was actually doing was with my belief about how much time it was going to take me. Yeah,
1: and so to that point, one of the exercises, actually, I encourage people to do is to do a time audit. And I have a free tool for that. But you can do this on an index card or a blank sheet of paper, 8 um, eight and a half by 11 paper, where essentially you sort of um, take a typical day for yourself and you essentially write out, All the things that you do in that day and how much time it takes you to do those things and when you do those things. And then on the other side, you write out, you know, based on what your priorities and what your intention are, what it is that, how it is that you actually want to be spending your time. And you look at those side by side and you actually sort of compare what, Mm -hmm. what the gap is. And that's, that can be a starting process to figure out, okay, I'm acknowledging where I am. I am taking time to vision and get clear about intention about where, where does I want to go. There's clearly some work to do in terms of bridging the gap, but now I have a starting point to to begin to make a shift.
0: Mm, yeah, and uh, it it can be difficult to to see that reality. Uh, I'm sure that. As someone who teaches mindfulness, you help people confront whatever feelings they might have when they when they see that you know yes on and paper or on a screen or whatever form it takes. Yeah, and so
1: what I tell people is that so this is not an exercise about you know criticizing yourself or judging yourself. This is just, this is just about sort of observing what's what's here. This is this is the reality, and we know that you are amazing, that you're wonderful, that you're great, and that you want to continue to do great work and to have an, an impact. And so the conversation that we're having is really about helping you to do that and so we see that you have right now it seems like you have too many things going on that are getting in the way of you doing the work the way that you want to be doing it and so we're gonna work together um, to simply see what's there and what changes um, we we can make uh, so I work with people on um, t- I work a lot with talking people down from the ledge just so they're judging themselves mm. and and feeling like they're failures or that they're not good enough because um, one of the characteristics of the high achievers that I work with is that they're perfectionists, right? So they, mm-hmm. they feel like, and I, 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 and I fall into that category. I'm a recovering perfectionist and workaholic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you feel like you're, you're overwhelmed by this feeling that you have to get everything done and it has to be perfect the first time you do it. Right. <laughs> and I work with people on what would happen if we just did good enough? Because, mm-hmm. If you are a high achiever and you're a perfectionist, chances are you're good enough is better than most people's, you know, perfect. Right. And so and then we can iterate and we can build on that. And so part of it is getting people to trust me and to say, well, let's just try this and see how you feel. And then let's take the next step and then the next step. And then over time, people begin to see um, that it actually is useful in terms of. um um Reducing the stress, reducing the anxiety, and getting people to actually take a step back um, and to actually have more space um, to, to do what it is they want to do without all of the sort of the negative emotional baggage that might come with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can say I'm in the same boat. Uh, just an admission that it's one of the reasons I decided to do a podcast is because it is spontaneous. Of course, I plan somewhat for it, but we Mm -hmm. record, we barely edit. And for me, as a perfectionist who likes to plan everything out word for word (laughs) (laughs) in advance, it was a way of me confronting that part of myself to say, hey, can I do this thing I'm going to go out there, I'm going to speak to people like you, it's going to be improvised, whatever happens, happens, and then I'm going to post it for the world to listen to. Even if there are flubs, uh, what I say isn't perfect, it's not all great, if I had written it out in advance, I might have felt better about it. You know, it, It's really a partially me confronting that part of myself to work on getting better at just not being perfect and being who I am and it being okay.
1: Yes, exactly. So that, I think that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. So congratulations.
0: <laughs> Thanks. It's, a, it's an ongoing <laughs> work in progress, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about, I know you've got a, a course coming up, and I know you mentioned the, pl- the new planner. Could you tell us a little bit about um, the new course that you've got in development that you're going to be releasing soon?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a new six-week um, live online course that starts on July 24th. It'll run for six weeks through the end of September. And it's a course that's specifically for what I describe as purpose-driven high achievers that are committed to doing good work in the world, making a difference, but they want to do it without burning out and they want to do it without being overwhelmed by all of the technology in their life. And so over the course of those six weeks, we're going to walk to together the framework of actually getting clear about your life vision, which includes your vision for both your personal and your professional work. And then using that vision that you, um, that we come up with together to actually set priorities for both your personal and your professional work. And I'm emphasizing both the personal and the professional because oftentimes we get so thrown into just the professional aspect of it, but we don't take time to think about what are our personal goals, right? So it's your, you know, a personal goal might be to, you know, you recognize that your work is getting in the way of your relationship with your spouse. And so you want to actually, um, you want to attend to that. You want to nurture that relationship and you want to spend more time with your kids. Um, or perhaps there's a book project you've been working on, you've been putting on the back burner. You want to you want to begin to work on that. So I work with people on sort of finding the balance between those things. Um, setting up, streamlining your calendar and your email, um, saying yes and no the right way in a way that honors you, that honors the folks that are asking for your time. Um, and to do it in a way that it feels good. And I think oftentimes we say yes when we really mean no. Um, and we say no and we feel guilty about it. And so then we take it back or we say things that actually make it worse um, because we feel so bad about saying no. And so I work with people around, how do you actually say no, what I describe as sort of the right way that honors you and honors um, the other person. Uh, and then also how you actually seek help, right? So seeking help and support by virtue of delegating, um, by virtue of, Um, automating some of the things like if you don't like grocery shopping, then don't grocery shop, like sign up for Instacart or some of these other services that are out there. Um, identifying those areas in your life where you could use additional support and that could free up your your mental and emotional space to be working on and focusing on other things um, so that you can be impactful for your business or for your organization and also um be fully available for your friends and for your for your family. Um and when people sign up for the course, I have this new planner that I'm gonna be releasing called the Intention Planner. That walks you through how you actually stay on track with this for for ninety days at a time. So oftentimes we mm-hmm. set goals for a year or for for the, for a lifetime, and we do our vision boards, but then we sort of stop there. And part of the reason people stop is because they don't know how to break down those large visions and those goals into actual practical day to day things. And so by breaking it up into ninety day increments, and then further into monthly, weekly, and daily, you begin to see okay here are the steps I can be taking to actually get to that lifelong goal or that, that year-long goal that I, that I might have. So that's what the course is, is, is really all about. It's about helping people to really transform their relationship to their work and their technology so that they can um, be fully present for the life they're living and, and for the impact that they're having on the world.
0: What's the name of the course, and where can people find out about it and sign up?
1: It's called the Reclaim Your Life Summer Bootcamp. And people can go to intentiondeficitdisorder.com slash bootcamp. So this intention with an I, um, deficitdisorder.com slash bootcamp. Um, and they can sign up uh, for actually a fit call because it's, it's, it's not a program that's for everyone. So I want to make sure we ha- we're going to have a small group of, about, of 10 folks. So it's not a large group. And so I want to make sure that the folks who are signed up are the folks that can actually benefit um, from the program. So if folks are interested, they can go to intentiondeficitdisorder.com slash bootcamp sign up for a fit call and then we can talk about what your challenges are and if the course is a good fit for you.
0: So that's very interesting. You've got a small group of people. So uh, am I right then that, that whoever uh, attends the course will have some direct interaction with you, even though it's an online course, how will that work and what will the format be?
1: Yeah. So it'll it'll be, um, we're going to have six um, live trainings, but in addition to the live trainings, um, there's going to be sort of what I describe as sort of laser coaching, right? So because it's such a small group, people have an opportunity to share what their challenges are and to get feedback in the group setting for me, but also from other folks in the group. And then I'm also offering folks uh, two one-on-one sessions with me. So at the at the front end of the course, you're going to get a one-on-one session with me. And then after the course has ended, uh, because I, I, I want to make sure you don't just sort of fall off um and um you know sort of you know, get discouraged i want you to actually be able to implement and move things forward so you're going to get another one on one coaching session with me after that and people will have ongoing access to the weekly online accountability um sessions that i make available to anyone which is absolutely free um for folks that want to take advantage of those things so it's um and i tell people that this isn't about information this isn't about like inspiration or like motivation this is really about doing the work and this, so this is something that also differentiates this course from a lot of the other things that are out there this this is really about um, people doing the work and there, there isn't busy work this is these are all the exercises the work with the planner all of this is based on work that I do and I have done for myself and that I have done with other clients where I have, where I have seen success so I tell people that this is not busy work that this is work on your life. Um, And so come ready to do the work and you'll see the transformation.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, it's very unusual for me to hear about someone who's put this amount of thought into the both the content and the structure of the course to maximize the effectiveness of it, you know, to maximize the, the likelihood that people will really succeed and get some direct benefit out of it. you know. This is not just a set of videos people are going to watch. You know, they're going you know, to get guidance from you. They'll have a workbook. They'll have specific exercises they could be doing. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty intensive course directed at what people are actually dealing with in their lives.
1: Yes. And so um, for folks that are struggling with the issue of work-life balance, um, for struggling with technology distraction, wanting to take a more mindful and intentional approach to those things in our life, Um, this is the course um, for you. Like, I'm really committed to um, positive impact and transformation for the folks that I work with. And so that the course is intentionally structured um, to do exactly that.
0: That's fantastic. Well, Miko, this has been really great talking to you about mindfulness, technology, productivity, and how they all relate to each other and the work that you do to help people. So thank you so much for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast.
1: And thank you for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing and actually making space to have these conversations.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Miko Whitlock, also known as the Mindful Techie. You can find out more about Miko and how he helps individuals and organizations to strike a new work-life balance in the digital world at MindfulTechie.com. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes. And check out our blog at TechnologyForMindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with Ted Meisner, the host of Present Moment Mindfulness Practice and Science, and the Manager of Online Programming and Community Development at the Center for Mindfulness, best known as the home of MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Join us then when we'll talk about the promises and challenges of bringing mindfulness education online.